My name is Rob, one of the pastors here at Fellowship. Um, officially title, uh, Pastor of Ministry Operations, Ministry Operations Pastor, flip that around. Um, what does that mean? Let's talk later. Um, I actually typically just describe like kind of whatever it takes to move the mission forward. Uh, equipping leaders, managing resources, uh, helping with strategy, um, taking out trash, whatever, whatever it takes to move the mission forward. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and delighted and humbled uh, by that privilege. Uh, we just came off Christmas break, right? And uh, start of a new year. Uh, at the top of my uh, sermon notes, uh, until this morning, I had 2023 down. Are you in that? Like, it takes a while to even start to change that when you're writing down that date. How many of you feel, you know, now starting in the, the new year, feel rested? Not a single hand. Refreshed, renewed, ready to get after it, right? Uh, Darcy and I uh, traveled north on Christmas Day uh, to see our uh, kids and grandkids up in uh, Chicago and Milwaukee. We drove 1,200 miles. We slept in three beds in five nights, and um, we came home with more than a few presents in the trunk. Um, they shared their germs with us to remember them by. Uh, it was a gift that lasted longer than most of, uh, of my resolutions. Um, it's nice to have a break, um, but then you get back to reality, right? Uh, for good or for bad, or probably a little bit of, of both. Students go back to school tomorrow, I understand. Tomorrow, are you ready? All the parents are going, no, I mean, are you? Anyone? Anyone? No one's? All right. Got some grandparents even nodding their heads. I like that. Um, but it's like we need a vacation from our vacation. You know what I'm saying? Um, ever feel like you just want to truly, you just want to get away from it all? You want to escape, right? Um, escape all the circumstances and all the crises and all the deadlines and demands and and, and just to get away, you know, even from this crazy world that we live in. Um, problem is that you can't, right? I mean, you can, you can pack up and go, but you still take all of your baggage with you. Or it's waiting there for you when you get back. All the bad stuff, all the painful stuff. You can't really get away from it all. Not really, not for long. You can run, but you can't hide. Uh, you can't get away from it all. Not in this world, not in, in these bodies, not this side of a place called heaven. I've done a, a, a lot of funerals, officiated at a lot of funerals over the years, and I've sat with countless people um, uh, following a, a friend or a family member's uh, death, and um, so I've heard a lot of things uh, said, you know, in those moments, in those difficult moments, and, and uh, just trying maybe to come up with something that would bring some comfort and um, I will tell you, that's not really the time to correct people's theology. Um, I learned that really early on in ministry. Um, but people have weird ideas about heaven, like, um, like when a child dies, right? And, and they'll say something like, you know, heaven needed what? An angel, another angel. Um, or when you die, uh, you're, you're going to be standing where? At the pearly gates, and, and Peter's going to be... You haven't heard this. What is, what's been going on around fellowship, man? He's going to be asking you, are you ready for the questions that he's going to ask? Uh, or, or you're going to be sitting in clouds, 
right? And uh, wearing white robes. And, and if, even if you've never played an instrument before, you're going to play playing a harp. Um, have you seen harp? They're not the kind of instrument that you really pick up um, and play. Uh, but um, I've had this, or, or you know, kind of pastor, I'm, I'm so glad, they'll say, I'm so glad that, you know, he, she, that they're in a better place. And, um, and I, I want to, and I, I, I often cho- uh, generally choose to err on the side of grace, right? But inside, in some of those moments, I've had some really serious doubts. Randy Alcorn, uh, in his, his book uh, entitled Heaven, said, um, Satan labors to give people an inaccurate view of heaven. He slanders three things, God's person, God's people, and God's place. He said some of Satan's favorite lies are regarding heaven. Uh, But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So we're going to talk about that place, the final place, not not, uh, heaven, not earth as it is, not in its present state, but the new heaven and the new earth. Um, Even though the the present heaven, uh, so when when you die and uh, your soul separated from your body, um, even though the present heaven, as, as you enter into God's presence in that moment, it's wonderful, it's far better, clearly, than uh, earth under the curse. It is not the place, not the final place, not the real place, the ultimate place that you were made for. Our destiny is a, a resurrected life on a resurrected earth. God's ultimate plan is not to take us up to be with him, but for him to come down and be with us. His final plan is to come down after the resurrection to live with us forever in a place, the new earth. As Jesus is God incarnate, so earth, earth will be heaven incarnate. In Revelation uh, 21, which will be uh, uh, the focus of the message this morning, we find ourselves in the middle of the final scene of the entire Bible. And we're not going to tackle it all. Um, in fact, I, I could have chose everything and I... In the middle of this week, and not feeling really well, I'm like, dude, you could have chosen anything. Um, but I, I'll tell you, I, uh, maybe when you're sick, there's no better time to kind of focus on this, right? Um, but we're not going to tackle it all, but quickly a little context. Following the tribulation in a long period of peace and prosperity called the millennium, Christ will return, the, the dead will be resurrected, and the final judgment will occur, the great white throne. And at that point, Satan and um, all of uh, hell will be thrown into the lake of fire. And then, this is what John writes in Revelation 21, we'll read verses 1 to 8, and then jump down to the end of that chapter, verses 22 to 27. You can follow on the screen, also encourage you, because we're going to be bouncing in and out of that passage, Uh, open your Bibles to that, or uh, open your phones Um, beginning again in, in verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to them, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. <clears throat> and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty of the Lamb, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God is in the business of creating new things, of creating new things. In Genesis 1.1, right, at the beginning of the Bible, and here we are at the end, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens... And in, in that context, that word heaven is talking about uh, the, the kind of celestial skies, the, the, the sky and, and atmosphere and the earth. But God is alpha, right? Beginning and end. Uh, making new things. And the new heaven and the new earth are not simply the old being renovated, but a new creation. It's a new thing. That, that's not to say that there won't be uh, conformity um, continuity, familiarity with the old, but that word um, that's used here is, uh, for new is, uh, is kainos, which means fresh. Not chronologically new, but qualitatively new. Uh, uh, new in character, a new heaven and a new earth, uh, without separation at this point. So uh, if you hear me at times, kind of new earth, uh, new heaven, sometimes new earth, new heaven, uh, it's all the same. It's all merged into one uh, celestial, um, uh, uh, I should say, one larger reality. Uh, we may sometimes think about what will be in heaven and make that kind of a list, right? Uh, thrones and, and crowns and angels and streets of gold and uh, city and mansions um, but repeatedly in these verses, we, we discover what won't be there. We're told what won't be there. And that may sound negative, but I, I actually find it to be, and I hope you do, extremely and intensely positive. Heaven will be heaven as much for what will not be there as for what is. So here's what we won't find in the new heaven and the new earth. Number one, no more sea. No more sea. The sea was no more. That, that seems redundant after saying that the old earth has passed away, so uh, why pick on the sea, right? Uh, personally, I'm more of a, a mountain kind of guy than a sea person. I mean, all that sand getting stuck in places, and you just lay there and fry. I mean, I don't know. How many of you are sea people? I knew it. 
Uh, well, that's all right. Um, you know, but, but uh, so I, for you, I, 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 I don't want to go, hey, literally, this is literally no C. Sorry. Um, <laughs> tough. Ha ha, I win. Um, what, what I, but I am, you know, I would be sad for this. I'm like, I mean, that would mean, I get thinking about it, like, that's no seafood. Oh, yeah, exactly. That doesn't sound like heaven. <laughs> I mean, all the stuff that I can't afford now, I, I'm looking forward to that. Um, what is meant here is, is debatable. And so we hold so much of this very humbly, um, openly, um, but an interpretive challenge, again, of revelation is sorting out what's figurative and what's literal. We, we do know, and I believe this is literal, there will be water. In chapter 22, it speaks of river that flows, flows, through, uh, uh, flows from the throne of God and through the city, uh, the new Jerusalem. <clears throat> One probable interpretation that continued to pop up in my study here uh, points back to the most prominent use of the concept of sea um, in Revelation as a symbol of evil. In Revelation 13, uh, John saw the beast rising from the sea. Uh, a likely implication here is that, that no more sea means no longer under attack from the world, from the devil, and from the flesh, right? In Revelation 20, we see the false trinity, that is the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, the false trinity, thrown into the lake of fire, all right? Gone forever, no more sea means no more evil, no more devil, no more temptation. You, you know, the, uh, uh, is that good news? Uh, good news, all right? You know, the dumbest thing that you could ever say, uh, by the way, I think in heaven would be, um, have a good day. Um, duh. Um, you, you're going to have a good day. In fact, every day just gets better and better. And part of it, again, is because of what's not there. It's no more sea means no more evil. Number two, uh, no more sorrow and suffering. <clears throat> no more sorrow and suffering. Uh, maybe the most familiar uh, part of this passage are these words from verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. Amen? I mean, sign me up. Sign me up. I, I, was, um, I was just kind of curious, especially after uh, being sick all week, how much money was spent on uh, over-the-counter, non-allergesic uh, pain medication every year worldwide. Anyone got a guess? Are you ready for this? 2022, it was $22 billion. That's just over-the-counter right? 22 billion. In heaven, zero. Uh, no more uh, drug companies. If I would have said that in the church I was up at in Pennsylvania, I would have been in big trouble. A lot of pharmaceutical plants up there. But, uh, uh, and no more health insurance. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Anyone work? No. Um, we do love you. We are very grateful for you. Absolutely, but looking forward to not having it. Uh, and, and, and so no wonder that the streets are paved in gold. If, if there's no more of that stuff, right? No headaches, no backaches, no surgeries, no more uh, emotional or relational pain, no more mental illness, uh, no, no uh, tearful goodbyes, no uh, funeral services. The sources 
of sorrow and suffering are non-existent in heaven. All the sources are non-existent. But what does it mean that he will wipe away every tear, and that's singular, every single tear, if there is no more crying? It, 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 the, the former things have passed away, but it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that, uh, that our memories will be erased, that those things will, will be gone, that we'll forget all the things that we ever experienced here on earth, or even that we will not know that, that we are absent from, from others that we know and love who, who are spending eternity in hell. Read the story of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. Sadness for those who don't Christ, who don't know Christ, is something that we should feel, but we should feel it now. While there's still something that, that we might participate with God in doing something about that. In fact, that's part of why I'm so excited that next weekend, uh, John Hopper will be with us and we're going to be going through that book. Um, he may say a bit more about this is a motivator. In heaven, um, what's going to happen is we're, get, we're just going to have a different perspective. We're going to actually have an accurate perspective. We're going to have the full perspective. In heaven, we'll be comforted not because we know less, not because somehow that, that's been erased from our memory bank, but because we're actually going to know more. God will wipe away every tear uh, by explaining his ultimate uh, uh, purposes, his sovereign design. Jonathan Edwards said that heaven will have no pity for hell. Not because the saints are unloving, but because they are perfectly loving. They will see everything in conformity with God's love, justice, and glory. We will worship the Lord without regret, sorrow, or misgivings about our Father's plan. <coughs> in 2 Corinthians um, 4, 18, uh, it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Our hope in hardship is heaven. Our hope in hardship is heaven, where death and disease and the devil are no more. No more. No more sorrow, no more suffering. Instead, more joy and more gladness. Psalm 30 says, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen? Number three, no more sanctuary. No more sanctuary. No sanctuary, no temple. Uh, verse 22, and I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Um, presently in heaven, present heaven, there is a temple containing the glory of God. It's, it's God's throne room. It's kind of his oval office. It's where um, he, he, he manages the affairs of the world, where he sends out his uh, army of angels to do his, his work. Um, in the new heaven, there is no heavenly temple because God himself is now the temple. God's Shekinah glory will be uh, everywhere visible at once. God has always wanted us to see him. Always. And uh, uh, Adam and Eve, they, they lived in the, the presence of the glory of God. That's why it was paradise. But they sinned and they were cut off, right? But, but God didn't give up. So God revealed his glory in things like the, the face of Moses. He, he, in the sky, a, 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 a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? In a tent, in a tabernacle, in the temple built by Solomon, 
But when the temple was turned into a place of idolatry, God's glory departed. And then God sent his son. He became the embodiment of God's glory. But Jesus was crucified and ascended into heaven to the right hand of God the Father, where God's glory now resides. And while the church as the body of Christ is now a display of God's glory, it's just, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. But one day, according to Matthew 24, 30, when Christ returns, he will come on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. One day, according to our text in Revelation, that great glory will, will be confined in no way, shape, or form. <clears throat> Listen to Revelation 21, 3 from the message. Uh, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. There is people, he's their God. He's moved into the neighborhood. He's come to us. We're his people. He's our God and his glory abounds. No temple, no need. You know, sometimes people will talk about it like, man, I can't wait. I'm gonna, I have a lot of questions I want to ask God, but everyone else has a lot of questions and how's he going to manage that? I need to make an appointment, kind of VIP pass to make it into the Oval Office and and uh, that, that's probably going to be true for, you know, other characters, but not for God. Like, you'll never need an invitation. You'll never need an appointment available wherever uh, you go. He is. Uh, we'll enjoy God's presence, Father and Son, Lion and Lamb. Throughout all eternity, we will never be separated. So much, uh, really, of what we know in, in this picture is very relational. It, it, it's, it's very relational, and it talks about... This, this simple truth that, man, we're going to be with him. And, and, and sometimes we just kind of passingly say that, I can't wait to be with him. I mean, let it sink in. We're going to be with him. Direct, unhindered fellowship. No more sanctuary, but more of God's glory face to face. Number four, uh, because there will be no sanctuary, there will be no more sun. No more sun. Or more accurately... From the text, no need for the sun. This is a cause and effect. The former produces the latter. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. <clears throat> for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. Uh, light and life will come um, uh, from the glory of God. The light that blazed in the face of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in, in Matthew 17 will be the sole source of light in the new Jerusalem. We will walk in the light of his glory. And as a result, Revelation 22.5 tells us that there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them. Throughout the, the Bible, right, darkness, darkness represents evil and it represents ignorance. But light is a picture of holiness and personal, personal knowledge of God. In the new Jerusalem, um, uh, in the new heaven and earth, we will walk in the light. We will finally and fully know God. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him in a real, intimate, again, relational way. In 2 Corinthians 13, 12, it supports this by saying, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we will know fully, even as I and fully known. No more sun, but more knowledge, more knowledge, 
more relationship, more awareness, more understanding, more insight, more access with God. Number five, no more self-glory. No more self-glory. In the new heaven and new earth, Christ alone is preeminent. He alone uh, will be worshipped. I'm not talking about um, uh, standing around, right, uh, in white robes, singing with the choir for eternity. Nothing against the choir. Uh, I I sang in choir in high school. Um, Couldn't read notes, but I sang in the choir when I was in high school. Um, I would encourage you this week, um, uh, wish we had time, but I, I just encourage you read Revelation 4. Uh, you know, we covered kind of one through three Advent series, read Revelation 4. And here, here's just, I just made kind of a list from that chapter describing heavenly worship. <clears throat> Our worship in heaven will declare his greatness. It will celebrate his goodness. It will submit to his authority. Uh, unselfishly, uh, It'll come before his glory and exalt his name. Uh, No more self-glory. Why? Because it's all about him. It's always been all about him. But finally, we'll recognize and realize it's all about him. Look at these verses that describe the worship of heaven, 24 to 26. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. At, um, at Christ's uh, birth, actually a couple years later, the Magi came, right? And uh, led by the light of God's glory, and, and they, gave, they gave glory and honor to him. The worship of the wise men is going to be repeated again and again and again and again and again and again over all of time and eternity. Every knee bowing. Every tongue confessing. No one will be on the sidelines because the gates of the new Jerusalem will will never be closed. There will be no hindrances. There'll be no barriers. There'll there'll be no shutting worshipers out from bringing their praises to God. Worship around the clock. And uh, I think we ought to prepare and practice for that. Jeff, you should pay attention to this. So I'm just going to let the clock run. We're not, we're not in the new heaven and new earth yet, so I'll pay attention to the clock. But man, I mean, maybe that sounds like, what? Really? I'm going to like, around the clock, unceasing praise and worship? It's what we're made for. It's what we're made for. To be loved by him and to love him back, it's what we're made for. And all of life becomes just that. John MacArthur writes, perfect praise will be the highest, noblest expression of our perfected being. We will recognize the splendor of God. We will see clearly his glory and perfection. And gazing on God's perfections eternally will compel us to offer uninterrupted, unrestrained, adoring, loving worship. It will be our delight. No more self-glory, but more worship of God. Number six, no more sin. No more sin. No more sin. Verse 27 tells us that nothing unclean will ever enter it. Uh, Major cities can be overrun by the cumulative uh, effects of sin. More people, more sin. Uh, But not this city. By grace, part of our inheritance as uh, God's sons and daughters will be new, perfect, holy bodies, minds, and hearts. 
glorified, resurrected bodies without the presence of a sin nature. Now, man, all kinds of questions start to rise. It's like, hey, do I get a, you mean, I, not, I get a pick out? Like, I mean, tell me a good looking guy. Jeff? Oh. You know, I thought you were going to give me a good looking guy. Oh, you're just going to say. I don't know if that illustration is going to work. Um, no, but it's not like, I mean, some of you may even think like, I, I, my body's pretty good. My mind's pretty good. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, new in the sense of <clears throat> unrecognizable. Because if that was the case, uh, the promise of heavenly reunion doesn't provide a whole lot of comfort. It doesn't. But we'll be the perfect version of ourselves, if you can imagine. No flaws, no limits, always on our best behavior, all the time. I mean, in that sense, it's like, really, you won't be recognizable. Um, <laughs> 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine what it will be like when Christ returns, but we do know that when he comes, we will be like him. Like him, like Christ. No sinful thoughts, no sinful motives, no wrong actions. We will never need to confess sin. We'll, we'll never need to apologize again. We'll never need to restore a, a broken relationship. Can you imagine that? What are we going to do with all our time? Right? There will be nothing unclean within us. There will be nothing unclean around us. We will live in a world that is unpolluted by sin. There will be no injustice and no prejudice and no depression and no abuse and no sexual immorality and, and no hate and no lies and no gossip and no worries and no wars and no addictions and no accidents and no rust, no cancer, <laughs> no locks, no burnt food. I mean, are you ready for what you won't find in heaven? Amen? No more sin. That means more service to God. When you are in this glorified state, you will finally be free, fully free to function as God originally designed and created you to. Redeemed and now restored into the image of your creator. Without the capacity to sin, you will have the full capacity to serve. Think of all the time we waste on sin now that can be used for good and for his glory. Finally, number seven, no more sinners. No more sinners admitted into heaven. Continue uh, in verse 27. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. <clears throat> and then back to verse eight. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. One, one commentator writes, it is a mistake to think that this verse is describing the way um, the unsaved behave here and now. The verse says nothing about the current behavior of believers or unbelievers. We all sin, we all fall short, so that's not the question here. Rather, it concerns the eternal sinfulness of unbelievers. John 8, 24 says, If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unbelievers die in a state of sinfulness. Forever they remain sinners. Believers, however, do not remain in a state of sinfulness <clears throat> because they are justified by faith. Uh, we didn't cover it, but back up in verse 6, it's like uh, they get to, to freely drink of the river of life without payment. 
That's by grace. That's by grace. That's what that's talking about. Romans 4, 7, 8 says, Blessed are those who, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered, against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, this is a, this is a hard, I believe it, it's hard. It's an unpopular truth, but it's still truth. Not everyone will be in heaven. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter the city. Verse 7, it says, No one who conquers will have this heritage. I'm sorry, the one who conquers, but that makes a change. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. In this context, he isn't talking about rewards. I do not believe he's speaking of our inheritance as sons and daughters. Inheritance aren't earned or deserved. They're granted. And by relationship, right? Heaven is the ultimate getaway from it all but it is an exclusive resort. It's reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are saved by grace. There'll be no sinners and no sin in the new heavens and the new earth. And because of that, there will be more fellowship with God's people, more fellowship. Heaven will be a perfect people in a perfect place experiencing perfect fellowship. In heaven, we'll be together worshiping and serving and reigning and ruling all with greater intimacy with God and with one another than we will, uh, could ever even uh, imagine here on earth. Together is, actually, no, that's wrong. Together is perfect in heaven. It's better here. We need it here because of the realities of here, but in heaven, it's going to be on the sign when you walk in, <laughs> right above the doorway, right there where Peter's asking you questions. <laughs> Together is perfect. Are you ready for what you won't find in this place that God is preparing for us? Mm, I've just scratched the surface. Just scratched. We're just peering through the gate. We're just peeking over the wall. We're, we're, we are still seeing through a, a glass darkly. As the song says, we can only imagine what it will be like. But even with that glimpse, isn't it just stunning? Isn't it magnificent, spectacular? I mean, I was just wrestling with, and what's the word that you use? So what? You've heard it said that uh, you don't want to be so heavenly-minded that you're of no earthly good. Heard that? I actually think, um, I think it's flipped. I, I think if we were more heavenly minded, more aware, more prepared, more watchful, more expectant, more excited about heaven, then, um, then we would be more purposeful in how we live here and now. We would make ourselves ready as a bride on our wedding day. We would watch and wait and worship with greater anticipation and with uh, a humble expectation. We would strive in his strength and for his glory to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We would invest more in things that, that matter and things that last in people who are going there. If... if um, 
hang with me here, but if someone falls out of an airplane with no parachute on and you don't have a parachute, um, you're not going to jump out after them, are you? I mean, it wouldn't do any good anyway. Uh, two deaths are not better than one. But, but if you have a parachute, you might just try one of those Mission Impossible moves, you know? Um, I'd like to think I'd try. Um, you know, zip, and you'd fly down, and you'd grab them, and then you'd pull your parachute, and you'd both land safely. Beautiful. It is the hope of safety in the end that releases radical, sacrificial love now. The hope of heaven should release in us radical, sacrificial love now. Because we, we know how it ends, and we know where we're going, and it's all going to be good. And it should cause people, when they look at us and living that way, it should cause people, like Peter says, to ask a reason for the hope that is in you. Like, how can you jump out of your own comfort? How can, how can you jump out of your own comfort and safety to save someone else? And your answer, I have a parachute. It's called the hope of glory. Do you have a parachute? Do you need a parachute? The reality of heaven is a motivator. The reality of hell is a motivator. I want to invite you to take a moment and think about the picture and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Something is coming. Something better. How does it make you feel? How does it change you, comfort you, encourage you? How does it inspire you to live your life now? Take a moment. Mm -hmm.